0: Hello, and welcome to the 2020 review episode of The Lighthouse Conversations. I'm Chirag Desai, and say hello to your favorite podcast host, Hashem Mantasar, who's also the founder of The Lighthouse. Hello. Happy New Year, Chirag. Happy New Year to you, too. How are you feeling? I think I'm okay, for the most part, yeah. (laughs) I I think think all of us are a little apprehensive. We're just kind of watching it out. I don't know about you, but that's how I feel about the year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know about apprehensive, but uh, in anticipation of what's to come. I don't know what the word... There's a word for this, but I didn't know what the word is. So, I, And I'm not apprehensive. I am sort of looking forward to what's to come
0: with some trepidation. Maybe that's the right word? Well, that's, that's a good place to be, yeah? I think, okay, for the most good. part, right? That's so good, good. So what we want to do for this episode is kind of a little bit of a special one. We're going to go behind the scenes. We're going to want to review last year, but through the lens of the podcast. As we've been talking offline about this, is we kind of identified a couple of themes that we felt kind of came out through the podcast, kind of in some ways also kind of... Um, describes the year? Well, I want
1: to just sort of first off say on camera or uh, at least on audio um, that I mean, I feel incredibly grateful to all our um, listeners. I feel like uh, we've learned a lot throughout this first year. There was some trial and error as anything new is. And I feel that we've come out on the other side feeling very good about the podcast, feeling very good about what we're adding, what we're doing, uh, and what we're trying to tell Um, the listeners. And maybe there's one quick point on that. I mean, I think at the heart of this podcast is really um, storytelling and trying to tell stories that are honest, because we feel that that's what resonates the most. And that's what we want to convey.
0: Yeah. And we've go back again to sort of when we were first discussing, I think one thing that stood out that you kept always talking about is I want to talk about the journey. I want to get to the journey. I don't want to just get to the highlight or the end point. Uh, because there's so much in the journey that kind of goes unsaid sometimes or is kind of glossed over.
1: And that's the, these are the nuggets, right? In, in the kind of entrepreneurial journey, if you will, I think the nuggets are the details to what gets you from A to B to C to D. I mean, the destination is great, but if we want to share something with our audience, I think it's all about the journey because we want them to learn something from this and also to take something home. And that's probably what they would be taking home. Certainly, that's what I'm taking home from many podcasts that I listen to.
0: That kind of ties in really nicely to the first thing that we want to talk about, which is the concept of vulnerability. Uh, now, obviously, 2020 was a was a year that I think a lot of people felt vulnerable in ways that maybe they had not experienced before. Uh, so I kind of want to get into a little bit about that. Sure. So sort of what was your feeling? I know we talked about this a little bit midway through last year. Uh, sort of what was your feeling just even mentally getting into it and getting out of it and sort of going through the journey with The Lighthouse?
1: You know, this, this point is very important because uh, when I look back at the episodes we've done and the kind of guests we've had, and we've been very lucky to have some wonderful guests, I feel personally my connection or the connection we've had with guests and with the audience is probably highest when they were being open. Now, that's not always easy when you know that someone else is listening in, in a way, uh, it's not easy for me either. And I think it takes a bit of practice. Now, COVID, as you said, came in the middle of that. So we had started the episodes or the podcast a few months before. But I think when COVID came, I felt that maybe some people that were would have been maybe otherwise, I'm guessing here, uh, more reserved, were willing to be a bit more open because everybody was willing to be a bit more open. But generally speaking, that to me is, I think, a very important consideration. So even when I look at podcasts that I listen to, Uh, and some of even the big names that you and I and many others know. Uh, And I I listened to what they've said this year. So just a few examples, you know, Tim Ferriss that many people know. I think he came out with sort of a very big piece of news about, well, not news really, talking about himself, some of the things that happened to him as a child. That probably took him a very long time. And I think when you have such an audience, such a big audience like Tim Ferriss, it's probably a big risk that you're taking. I don't know if COVID was part of the decision-making process to say this now because he's been on air for many years. But I personally, as a listener, felt that that type of vulnerability um, adds to the, the, the host, especially if it's a host that's well-known, that you know, already has a, a huge measure of success, to be able to be out there, say things about himself that, are, that, that put you in a vulnerable position. Um, and others as well. I mean, Guy Raz, which also another you know, very well-known podcaster... He spoke at length um, about his battle with depression, anxiety, and so on and so forth. So I was actually very impressed when I listened to those episodes by how open they were willing to be. And again, what we could say that this is a very American thing, but I think that um, there is something to be learned there from, not necessarily talking as much about yourself, if you want to, you should, but generally, uh, so my sense of kind of taking away from 2020 and going to 2021 is The more open I can be, it doesn't need to be necessarily a very personal issue. It can be. The more I feel the guests are willing to uh, come along in terms of what they're saying about themselves, about their journey, about their failures, about their successes, etc., etc.
0: I mean, you you can't sort of deny that there is some connection with How the year was going for everybody, right? So there is there is definitely some level of uh, even us. We were internally discussing how we wanted to sort of formulate the show, and and when we were talking to certain guests, how we wanted to approach them because COVID had been such a sort of like a changer in in so many ways. Uh, Like you said, it it might be an American thing; they tend to be a little bit more open, and obviously, these are very established hosts, so they've been doing it for a while. You kind of started to see a little more come out, and I think that's something I noticed as well when sort of you were talking to. Uh, the guests, is you were also not only trying to reach those conversations a little bit more this year, but you were also kind of sharing yourself yes. uh, sort of how you were feeling in those moments to see if and how that resonated. And it did resonated a lot, I think. No,
1: thank you. Well, I'll share a small anecdote here. It's funny you said that because uh, I spoke to my nephew, uh, my my older nephew, um, maybe a, a couple of a month or two into it. And just asked him, he told me I'm listening to the, the podcast and I really enjoyed it. And I said, he's Uh, he's um, 18 or 19. And I I said, well, you know, do you have any feedback for me? He's like, well, I actually really like it, but I want to say something. It says the Lighthouse Conversations, and this was in the early stages of us doing this, so maybe after the first two or three episodes. And he said, I felt that you're holding back a bit. So if it's a conversation, a conversation means both sides are contributing and it's a back and forth, as opposed to question, answer, question, answer. And it resonated with me because I think at the beginning, be very open, I was a bit more hesitant about sharing more, giving a point of view. I didn't want to take away from the guest. It was coming from a good place.
0: Yeah, it wasn't you not wanting to share, exactly. it was just you wanted to make sure that like this is about the guest, let's not exactly. let's not bring me into the conversation exactly. kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, and
1: sense. it took a while to get what I felt was a good balance in terms of sharing, contributing, telling your own stories as well without overshadowing but without feeling also you held on too much. So it was a very it was very good feedback and we're very happy to, to get more feedback if there's any and I I kept that in mind as we went along.
0: So uh, maybe I think one of the things I wanted to ask you as well is if you look back at the last year and some of the people you talked to maybe let's highlight uh, a couple of people I think that, that could have stood out in your mind when it came to this piece. Sure. Um, I think uh, actually very early in the year, I think it was one of our first episodes, I think it was in January last year, uh, we spoke to Orit, right, who, who runs Boon Coffee. So
1: it, it was kind of because I was the Ethiopian girl, Ethiopia wasn't much known, but in the Middle East where I see daily, and especially as a woman, you feel like when you're doing, because still people ask me when I'm somewhere coming in, oh, where is the owner? I still get that daily. So to say, no, no, this one, I'm the owner, unless I feel like they're going to talk too much and I say, he's not coming, he's going to come later. You know, obviously, uh, Orit is is a friend and also someone we work with at the Lighthouse, being um, from Ethiopia, being a a black woman and being a woman in business in this part of the world. And I think, I mean, look, there's no question, there are still many glass ceilings and that's one of them. And I, what I loved about her uh, sharing this anecdote with us that it highlighted, obviously, an issue and a situation that needs more awareness. But um, she didn't see it as a problem, but rather as a way, you know, as a almost, um, I don't want to say a, a normal course of, of, of life, but those are the kind of things that are thrown at you and you have to find ways to not just overcome them, but they also help you in the sense that I'm sure it motivates her as it probably does for us in many ways to feel that she can be a role model of sorts you know maybe forging a path that others haven't and there's something very inspiring about that and something probably very motivational about that for the people that that hear her story but also for her
0: yeah and i think you know when you're when you're talking about sort of what how someone views a situation for her instead sort of taking it as a wow that's a you know, horribly offensive thing. She looked at it more as saying, well, that's, a, that's a, an interesting point of view to say, what I'm trying to do is actually finding an audience. Totally.
1: Again, I mean, storytelling being at the very heart of this show, right? So, because Orita, I think, is a very good storyteller. The, I've, I remember um, starting this episode and within what felt like minutes, we were towards the end because she was going from one story to the next and it's a very powerful way of... Um, Telling your story, but kind of with with personal anecdotes interspersed.
0: So as we got through the year, obviously March and April came around, and then we saw this sort of complete turnaround. And uh, and we had to turn around as well how we were doing the podcast. So we had recorded with Chris Khalifa, uh, which had been a remote conversation we had done just before COVID took off. Um, and then uh, so we actually went back to him to talk to him about kind of his experience, uh, you know, with everything. And I thought that was again a really really interesting episode. Uh, more so the the sort of update that we took from him, uh, you know, post the restrictions. And the contrast.
1: Yeah. As you said, we had this episode, which was uh, kind of at a high.
0: A very positive. Yeah, very, very positive, yeah. very
1: spirited. Obviously, at the time when, just to put the context, Chris had taken Zuba to New York. They had just opened to a lot of fanfare, a lot of very positive feedback from the audience, from the customers, from the press, So we left, we felt at a high, right? We're very excited for him. And then within weeks, COVID came.
0: Beginning of March, uh, Zuba got listed on the 3rd of March on New York City's uh, Bon Appetit's New York City's best 100 restaurants. 12 days after that, uh, we closed our New York location. And a week after that, we closed all our Egypt locations um, because of the coronavirus. The transition from being so aggressively thinking about the business in terms of growth and being in such an exciting state of hitting milestone after milestone to suddenly within seven days or 10 days shifting the psychology from growth to survival has been, uh, has been quite the experience. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like it since we started Zuba.
1: And what I found very interesting about that was how open he was about saying we were at a high and now this came. Uh, it's very humbling, but you know what? That's what happens in business sometimes. We'll kind of uh, keep at it. And things will, will come back.
0: Yeah, we'll regroup a bit and, and kind of get started, I think. When you are a business owner, and this is something I think, and then especially when you're in a space like F&B, which is it's typically very tough, you've gone and expanded in a way that most people do not expand, right? So he had already been through that cycle in Egypt, if I remember correctly, where he had expanded, then he had exactly. kind of consolidated. Over-expanded, yeah. And then he, was, he took it to a completely different direction where saying, well, now I'm going to New York. And we talked to him about that and, and sort of how elated he was and then to suddenly have that whole thing turn around is both a vulnerable moment, but it's also an interesting moment that kind of, as they as they keep saying, right? Like this is when you can get to show what you're made of and how tough you can be. The resilience.
1: And, yeah, the resilience. And the grit. And that's definitely one of the traits that I think entrepreneurs in general, I don't want to say need to show, but, but need to acquire or learn over time. I mean, I could relate to this particular episode and this conversation very much for the obvious reasons that we're in a very, I mean, I work um, in the lighthouses in a, in F&B as well, and we had to make some incredibly quick decisions in March uh, at the height of the crisis that we understood would have long-term implications. And you really need to be resilient, but you also need to be cool under pressure. Um, And I felt, and perhaps to your point, um, maybe his previous experience in Egypt had taught him that, I'm not sure, may also be his personality, but he seemed to be Very aware of the challenges ahead, but also pretty cool and steady.
0: That's something every entrepreneur needs to show. And I think that's something that kind of continues to come through from a lot of the people and a lot of the guests that we've been talking to. One of whom is uh, Amira, right? The founder of BulkWiz. In her case, I think the story was also kind of we were now getting past the point of uh, at least the lockdowns here in Dubai. Yes. Uh, it was just
1: she, at the cusp. Was she the first live one? I think she one? was
0: the first uh, one yeah. that we did in person yeah. um, after a lot of remote right. and Zoom based right. interviews that we had to do.
1: Start with a quote. Sure. You were, I think, narrating a story and telling that you were told by a number of people when you were starting this business I'm going to quote, your husband does well, you don't need to succeed, unquote. I find that very interesting. Uh, not surprising, but interesting.
0: This particular gentleman, very successful, um, sort of owner of multiple businesses. Um, loved the concept, bought the deck, bought the whole thing. But, you know, as you know, when you're at the angel stage, you're buying the entrepreneur more than anything else. He actually told me later that um, he he asked that question because he questioned my intent versus my capability. So he thought this was like my little retirement project.
1: You know, I mean, I gave him a lot of credit uh, that he said this out loud. But, yes, I mean, I think she had clearly a number of things she was working with. I mean, one is she pivoted from a successful corporate career to being an entrepreneur. That's hard in and by itself. She's a woman. She's an Arab woman. Um, She clearly, from the conversation we've had, is outspoken, which is great. And um, yet she still gets someone who's not talking about the business plan or her credentials, but sort of like
0: it's almost you know, personal, yeah. yeah.
1: Why, why do you do this? I mean, you know, you should just... Uh, you didn't say you should, I mean, to be fair, but, you know, you can't just sit at home and, and be happy. Um, and that's also interesting because it brings up another point, um, which is why we're doing this, all of us. Success, there's some measure to success that comes from building wealth um, for yourself, for your shareholders, etc., Certainly the kind of typical stories we hear about the US, especially when it comes to tech entrepreneurs, it's all about, you know, I sold at X and I did at Y. But I think for many of us, and probably a lot of those entrepreneurs as well, it just so happens that the, the tech market is so, so fluid in the US. It's about self-actualization, uh, really at the heart of it. Uh, so if that's taken away from you, uh, by taken away, I mean even, even with a good, great outcome, the company gets acquired, successful flotation, the stock market, etc., you will need something else to replace that. So it's not just about money. It's not just about, you know, the company moving from from one success to the next.
0: You hear about these stories a lot. They make a lot of headlines. So it, it almost it starts to feel sometimes like, okay, that's what entrepreneurship is about. But it really isn't, right? It typically is about either finding an opportunity or seeing an opportunity or a space where you want to create something that isn't there. A lot of the times it's just identifying a problem and, trying and, and figuring out or, or wanting to solve it or having being passionate enough to want to solve it. I mean, if you look at Amira's journey, her entire thing was, I love this concept of doing things in I went to Costco, involved.
1: I saw this, and I was like, why can't we do this here? Right. 100%. And, and I want to add a third point to this, um, which is, I think, also, again, the point about self-expression. I mean, we talked a bit about micro-entrepreneurs, and a lot of them are artists, writers, authors, etc. And, and many of those probably were doing some level of self-expression, working for other companies, I'm not sure how much of their voice was coming out because there's so many restrictions. If you're working for a big media firm or a big uh, newspaper, et cetera. And now through those sort of new uh, mostly tech enabled platforms, they're literally able to completely and fully express themselves and even monetize that. And I think that's that's wonderful.
0: Uh, I think before we close out this theme, um, because we're talking about vulnerability and, and we want to tie that a little bit into sort of mental health, one of the things we, we spoke about uh, sort of midway when we were sort of celebrating episode 20 was this focus on mental health. And we also had Dr. Kareem come on to talk about, you know, more specifically, uh, what were some of the mental health challenges that we could be seeing out of 2020.
1: In the future, we are going, and I always say, say that from, from the beginning, to pay the price of COVID-19 in terms of mental health for years to come after COVID-19, unfortunately. So, can we classify this for at least most people as a trauma? Uh, yes, it is traumatic. And why is it traumatic? Because it, it hit the most important um, aspect of uh, humans, which is human interaction. So I think this is the biggest problem with COVID-19, not the anxiety linked to the disease or, or catching it or all of that. OK, there's a bit of that, but it's mostly the disconnect. And as human beings, we are social animals. Zoom cannot replace it. I mean, it's better than nothing, fine, but it cannot replace it. And teens need this this connection. Yeah, this was a very important episode for a lot of reasons. A, I'm obviously, uh, not obviously, but I'm a big champion of um, seeking out help when it comes to mental health. COVID b- brought out a lot into people that probably accelerated this trend. And we wanted to have Dr. Karine on because it was important to highlight, A, I think, especially in this part of the world, there's still, until this day, a lot of shame. Uh, yeah, a that a lot I think of stigma, is associated yeah, Stigma with the idea of seeking help of any sorts. Uh, so unfortunately, people wait until it's very late in the game, in which case a lot of times there's a lot less you can do. And I'm really hoping that uh, not just entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs, is, it, it, they are, funnily enough, a vulnerable community because A, it's lonely, in a way. I mean, at the end of the day, even if you have your family supporting you, spouses, partners, children, etc. It's still lonely. Yeah, yeah, it's very lonely. Even if you have a partner at work, it's still lonely. Um, so, but they are lionized by the external, whether it's media or otherwise, as sort of this larger-than-life, especially the ones that make it, make it big, larger-than-life figures. So it almost feels like they shouldn't have problems.
0: That's right. Yeah, I mean, you think about like Tony Shea, right? And, exactly. and sort that's, of the that that news exactly that came, came in, to mind. Uh, you know, and it's just something that like, it's, it was shocking. Okay, I followed his journey for a long time. I read his book, you know, he, he he formed an interesting phase of sort of my journey as well, personally. But it was just shocking because he always came off as someone who was super happy and 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 someone who was, he just, you know, he had this very, very positive approach to everything, to solving everything. And that's in fact, what his book is about. Uh, so it was just doubly shocking to kind of yeah. realize that impact. Now you know, exactly.
1: Yeah. So I think it's important that that starts becoming part of the conversation and that mental health and routine checkups in that sense is seen the same way you look after your physical health and the same way many of us drag themselves to the gym or whatever we do is to do that. Uh, and it, there's many ways to do it. And I think having Dr. Karin on here was very important to speak about some of these issues speak about them, obviously, in in terms of how they relate to technology, but also just to make that part of the conversation we want to have. And and I'm I'm hoping that in 2021, whether it's by talking to professionals or others, that does become part of the conversation. Um, Even for regular entrepreneurs that we feature on the program, that we can speak to them openly about some of those struggles.
0: Okay, so I want to talk about the second kind of overall theme that we saw and obviously you know this is at the end of the day this is the lighthouse conversations brought to you by the lighthouse we cannot do this without talking about food in a way but we wanted to talk a bit about food and memory which i think is a is a very interesting thing um when you talk to almost anybody right food is one of those unifying factors not just because there are so many memories of childhood i mean talk to anybody and they'll tell you like my mom making this particular (laughs) dish is my favorite thing in the world right and you have a lot of these kind of uh, uh, these memories associated with it but then also it's something that came up a lot uh, not just with the chefs we may have interviewed or people who were in F&B but also with people who weren't right so uh, one of my um, sort of favorite anecdotes that came out last year was when you when you spoke to Yasmin from Missonia Yea. And you know, obviously, she's a fashion entrepreneur, and we were talking about—I mean—her highlight of the story, of course, is the JLo story and all of that. But she spoke about Egyptian fatta But she spoke about Egyptian yeah. fatta. So, so last week I was in the Lighthouse, and you should have seen me when I was tasting the Gucci's. The goat salad.
1: <laughs> you should have... This has to be one of your ads. You should okay, have seen me singing 100%. to the goat cheese salad. 100%. And that was the savory part. Okay. And then when we... The, the toffee, that was the gluttonous part. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm full, but I have to take... The, I have to... This is going to fix my mood for the rest of the day. Oh, now that I know... No, that you I really know. have good food. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, maybe fatta is in our cards. So we're going to yes, come yes, and yes. sample and the fatah soon. Yeah. Uh-huh. Inshallah. Very soon. It's interesting. Um, I think food is so central. It's a memory. It's also identity. So in many ways, um, it's so intertwined with all our identities, right? When you we're think so, about it. I mean, it. we still see
0: fights, right? But well, who owns this particular dish, 100%? right? 100%. Yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. And you see it all the time. And it was, I think, quite evident in the case of Yasmin, who is unapologetically Egyptian, let's put it this way, which is fantastic. I mean, I'm Egyptian myself, so I could completely relate to that. And I am also unapologetically unapologetically (laughs) Egyptian in that sense. And I think that conversation was very interesting, but it came out with many others. And it brought me back to something that was very much at the heart of the lighthouse when we first started and still is. One of the reasons we started the lighthouse is we felt that as a communal focal point, if you will, or gathering point, having it around F&B makes a lot of sense because the lighthouse was always designed as a hub uh, for the community around D3, around Dubai, and f was very central to that. So that point of building memories, forging new memories, but also coming with your identities and your views on food was very much part of it, and
0: and it's very very communal.
1: It makes for I mean, it's always the easiest conversation to have.
0: Even if you go to go out, I mean, you 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 step out with someone you do not know, talking about the menu and talking about what you're going to order and why, and and just starting yeah. is such a great conversation starter. Anyway, I'm going to bring Farah. Well, I'm going to remember Farah in this conversation really quickly. It was one of the things we wanted to do with the show, which was kind of her great idea was like, I would love to film people having the meal together and having this conversation while you hear the clinking of plates and... and we describing. haven't been able to do that with COVID, but hopefully soon. Yeah, I, I think that's something maybe hopefully in 2021 we'll be able to do because I think it would just create this very, very interesting layer where you're talking conversations, you're talking arts and culture and then combining it with food in the very real sense.
1: And also audio is such an intimate um, medium. It's so funny uh, to what you said because I remember when we had that conversation, and at the time I had listened to one of Alec Baldwin's uh, podcasts, and uh, here's the thing with Barbara Streisand, funnily enough, and I didn't think this would be something I would want to listen to. Not Barbara Streisand, but what I'm going to say now: he was interviewing her during lunch, and she was slurping a soup.
0: Oh. Just put that over here. Oh, see, I just brought this uh, table from the back. Oh, that's good. Can... And we need another table, maybe over here, sure, because this is them. miso soup. Don't worry about me; I'm great. I mean, in other words, people know we eat, right? Right. So if they hear a sound, no it's okay. Good, 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 good. Because I always like we'll to eat. I love the eating. Oh, really? No, you no, you won't. Mmm, that is delicious, isn't it? And healthy. Um. What were you we talking about?
1: And as I heard that, and I remember being on a treadmill. And, you know, I would have thought I would be turned off by it, and I completely wasn't. There was something very interesting of having a feeling of the sensation that's hitting others while they're eating things that are close to their heart. So absolutely, food I mean, is essential to that.
0: I think nothing describes the fact that there is such a strong memory with that. And the fact that you were able to say just now that I was on a treadmill when I heard that, exactly. because that's the link that is exactly burned right. into your brain, right? That I was doing this when I heard this particular thing that now has this very strong memory with me. Um, I want to talk a little bit about also, we, we just touched on sort of childhood memory, but from a different perspective, because uh, so Yusuf al-Deep, is the founder of Fatafit and it's a very inspiring person, just in general. Uh, it was quite an honor to meet him too. Uh, but his childhood, when it came to food, had some very, very strong memories. He sort of summarized food or lack thereof, right? Lack thereof, yeah. And and the fact that he was like, we were always in that struggle. We're hungry. I'm just saying it to explain my relationship to food is through lack of food, missing food, nostalgia for food, and then realizing food is that great uniter. Is that I think right? I think food shows me. I can say I consciously chose yeah. it. It shows me in the sense that I was young, I, I lacked food. My mother would smuggle boiled eggs when she came to visit. Well, and I one would. of your quotes was, anyone can bribe me with a boiled egg. Exactly. That is, just as a sentence, it's such a defining sentence in so many different ways, right? Because it not only talks about the lack of food, but how, how something as simple as a boiled egg, which is not, I mean, you, a lot of people would take a boiled egg for granted. And yet for him, it's, it's a prize,
1: And it's it's symbolic, probably, for a part of his life that is, uh, and probably a reminder. So, again, you remember also food is intertwined with identity and therefore intertwined with your status and socioeconomic class and so on and so forth. So, I felt, and I may be going a tad sort of uh, more psychology here.
0: But but we have to do that, yeah, because otherwise it doesn't (laughs) work. I just
1: felt when he said that. It was almost using this as a crutch in the sense of it being a reminder of his beginnings and a reminder to remain humble. And in a way, kind of metaphorically, to stay hungry, because he's someone that's been very um, fortunate to have had a good measure of success in his life, professional career and otherwise. Yet when he invoked a story, I felt it's a way for him to remind you of himself to stay grounded. Yeah. Because that story clearly is I mean, there's no longer a factor, right? And I mean of course. so when he said anyone can bribe me with a with a boiled egg, I feel that immediately made that connection. And he didn't need to say anything else. And you knew immediately where he came from. And a bit like Yasmin speaking about Fatah, and immediately you can visualize her at <laughs> Fatah. And you don't need to hear anything else.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's something as we said, that's very symbolic of food in the way it is. Uh, I mean, if you look at in, in Yusuf's case, I mean, ultimately he went on to found the premier food channel here, and the basis of which for him was, look, food is what will create memories. So I want to create that around food. I want to remember he mentioned that they never aired a single recipe, uh, or, you know, on Fatafit. And they look at the personalities. Yeah, and chefs. almost you you kind of hear that and you think, what is he saying? Like, how is that possible that a, a dedicated food channel is not discussing recipes? But he's like, because it was about the memory. It was about the the view, the personality, the noises, the sound and your ability to think about flavor because obviously you can't get one through the TV. And I think
1: that brings us to another point, which again, I mean, I'm just going to link it back to the Lighthouse for a second. That idea of it being an experiential space because we understood fairly quickly that while it's very important to have really good food, high quality meals at the Lighthouse, if the supporting environment is not there, it doesn't create those memories that you keep going back for. And if you want to really build a strong brand, big part of it is build all the support measures. Even if food is your star, in our case it certainly is, you need to build the supporting cast. And I think that's very, very important because memories are not built in a vacuum.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna use your uh, strong brand as a crutch to move on to our next guest that we wanted to talk about, who kind of sits on the almost other extreme of what we were just discussing. But that was Chef Daniel Bulut, who came down uh, for his um, for uh, Brasserie Bulut, which he which he opened at the Sofitel a couple of months ago. And so we had the we had the opportunity to to interview him and talk to him, and we kind of. Um, Kind of had a ball with this question when you know you were talking to him about his birthdays and he went into this <laughs> recounting yeah. on and
1: off. It was fantastic, yeah. But <laughs> each the,
0: one of his birthday parties, the wines, the food, the menu, the the decadent measurements, right? Of 40, I think it was 40, 50, and 60. Is what Felt he said. a bit decadent in the middle of COVID, <laughs> but yes. I had a big party. I had many good I parties heard, in I my heard, life. I
1: heard. <laughs> I had many good, good parties. My, res- my th- research revealed a 50th birthday I party. I tell you, my forties 40s, my 40s birthday party in New York, my 50th birthday, oh. and my 60th birthday. Now I'm jealous. They were amazing. Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Uh, my forties. there was a nightclub owner who every night was eating at Danielle. He said, Daniel, I know your birthday is coming. I'm giving you my nightclub. And so DJ everything, Which booze, club was free it?
1: booze. It was the the Palladium, ah, the and Palladium. there was the Michael the, day, the yes, Michael Todd rooms. Yes, I remember it. The Michael Todd oh, rooms. Oh my god! So I had two hundred and fifty friends. You oh, know, I mean that was wow. okay. <laughs> Not bad
0: for for you. I mean, obviously, we were all sitting there, right? This was us and a couple of uh, his team were also yeah, sitting team, there. Yeah. And I don't think anybody did not have a smile on their face as we were listening to him recount that. Right. Uh, and I, as did you, as did him, right? When he was talking about his memories, none of us were anywhere near him. Well, his enthusiasm was, was infectious. What right? is <laughs> that too? Yes, but it, it just created this sort of happy moment that we could be lost in when we were listening to him talk about his birthdays. I mean there was a there was a larger theme to it of course he mentioned as well that uh, you know, the gift that he was given on on his um 40th birthday was to invest money which he then decided to do and still continues to, to do you know help children But yeah, but it's just one of those things where I think like, again, you know, food is so powerful when it comes to creating memories and they don't always, I mean, they can, and there are all kinds of memories at the end of it, right? You can, you can look at food as a representation of how your mood is on a certain given day. You can look at food as, as we just said about childhood and kind of nostalgia. And then you can look at food as this happy thing that allowed you to enjoy a moment, uh, whether it's a birthday or uh, any any kind of celebration.
1: And that brings us probably to our, our, our other guest, uh, one of my favorite guests, and she passed away uh, earlier um, last year, which is which is very, really sad for us because we had taped this this episode with her a few months before, which was Deborah Kletter, which I had never met in person. We became almost like pen pals, funnily enough.
0: Having a meal is a celebration. You can make an occasion out of it, whether you're having a hot dog from a stand or a five-star meal in, you know, in one of the top 50 restaurants of the world. It's, you know, it's just, it, food, you know, I keep saying this, but food leads us to other pleasures or consoles us for the loss of them. That's a bastardized version from a philosopher, but, or a writer, <laughs> but it's, um, but it's true. You find comfort, you find pleasure. You know, how many things can can you say that about?
1: That really resonated with me because we all know this uh, smell and taste. you you have it and within a second you're transported back to that exact first time you've had this. Or it brings back a memory that has little to do with what you've just tasted and everything to do with where you were and who you were with. Mm-hmm. And I most definitely have many of those and I'm sure you do too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, especially with my parents and uh, in my childhood and some of my close friends Etc. Etc. et cetera. And funnily enough, a few weeks ago, um, I was with a, with a friend and we were talking about a particular um, sporting club, sort of like a, that we used to go there and exercise in Cairo. And we both used to go to that same vendor that had these burgers that were not necessarily remarkable, but yeah. had a tahina sauce on top of them that we all remember. Right. And when we brought it up, she said tahina. And I was like, that's it. And that, it took a second, and I was completely back as a 11-year-old, standing in light, patiently, waiting for my burger with, you know, drenched tahina. It's incredible how 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 food does that.
0: Uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be fancy. I'll, I'll, as an example, like uh, my parents and me, we had this tradition where anytime anybody would fly, we have to eat hummus at the airport. Do you know what it tastes like? It doesn't taste <laughs> like, you know, it's not. I mean, con- considering we live in a place like Dubai, where you can get good quality hummus, pretty easily uh, but it was just a tradition and it's about and it, the memory it's about the memory and so every time we go to an airport now we're always hunting for i i don't care how bad or, or good homeless, it is i just want to just a hummus vendor that's all i want yeah. and it's just these again so hummus is something that very personal to me i can eat it every day all there are all of these memories are around this one dish that we just grew up around and i think that that's powerful and that's so it?
1: interesting because um i think deborah understood that and her business essentially revolved around that so she built these experiences for you uh, around food. And she understood. So when we, I would ask her for her list, so to speak, when I go to a New City, the list would have high and low. And she understood that it's about building that experience. And one of the things we spoke about, which I still remember very well during the episode with her, is I mentioned my son. My um, oldest son, who was not so old, who was uh, eight, who I think is sort of a self-proclaimed foodie, whatever that means, um, Mm -hmm. is is equally intrigued. I mean, he takes your list and he's sort of part of our journey in Los Angeles was where are we going today? What did Deborah say? And we would sort of, you know, go to Koreatown (gasps) and try a place. Oh, my God, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And he gives me very, I mean, every time we leave, he religiously gives me his feedback, which I may or may not incorporate in my feedback to you, but he takes his job very seriously. So we're kind of trying Uh to be mini Debras, if you will. Uh, just with oh. each other for, for one day.
0: You're too kind, but that's, that's phenomenal. And what an incredible bonding experience. Because, I mean, what else, what else bonds you other than sitting at a table, you know, across from somebody that, you know, that you love that deeply? That's pretty extraordinary.
1: So she understood, again, that, you know, that connection between food and memory and bonding and community, etc. And that's wonderful. And, and that's honestly uh, one of the main reasons we started the lighthouse is we felt that all of those things are intertwined. And if you put them together in a good dosages, it might work and you go from there. You build from there.
0: Yeah. And I think it's uh, something that I was just thinking about now, as you were saying that is it doesn't just have to be about nostalgia. It can, it can just be creating intentional memories. You can create something, you know, I mean, that's a very good point. You know, when you, when you look at, uh, especially when you look at the year like 2020, uh, I know that a lot of us who were kind of dealing with the fact we weren't, look, we were meeting a lot of people, meeting meeting people that we would normally meet pretty frequently and so on, where we used food as a, as a crutch to kind of get back together, right? So we said, hey, you know, remember this thing we used to do once in a while, like the, what seems like ages ago, why don't we do that as a way to get back together and meet up? And sometimes, like I said, it can be the super intentional thing that that can help bond. This is, I mean, we're very lucky in Dubai that we went back to normal pretty quickly. But remember,
1: this is only six months ago, there was big speculation that, you know, restaurants will never be the same again. People will not go and socialize. And one of the things we talked about, which I'm not saying we were ahead of any curve, but it just felt right to think, you know what, human beings are social animals. Some things will change, and they have forever. But one thing that is not likely to change is them wanting to get together over meals. Correct. That's just not something they're going to they, change. And they will find ways to do it, whether it's socially distanced, whether it's with extra measures, hygienic me- measures, etc., etc. And I think we've seen that. I mean, Dubai, to the extent that it bounced back earlier than some of the other places, the first thing that started filling up were coffee shops, restaurants, um, F&B venues, because people wanted to connect.
0: Okay, so that's kind of like us looking back at 2020, looking at a couple of themes that I think um, kind of stood out for us. I mean, there were, of course, a lot more. Um, There's a lot more to come this year too, of course. Yeah, we're excited about that. Yeah, so we all started working on, you know, episodes to come. Um, Are there things you want to look at this year, uh, like we looked at last year? I don't think there's anything specific. I mean, I'd like to obviously unearth
1: more stories that are slightly less discovered, talking to people in different fields as well. So I feel one of the strengths of the show is that we are able to talk to people from all walks of life. We've covered quite a bit in uh, obviously food-related. We've covered quite a bit in technology, arts, culture, but there's a lot more. And I think we're on the hunt for those stories. And I would like that to be a big feature in 21, not because of the novelty effect, but more, the more perspective we get, the richer the show becomes and the conversation we have around it. I also feel from a learning perspective for all of us, right? So, I mean, one of the reasons we started this show is we're curious. We want to learn more. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can do more of that. Um, that's definitely a big a big part of um, of this next year. And the other thing that we'll, we'll consider doing as well, which we focused for the most part around the UEE for now is over time and now with the acceptability of Zoom, this is something you and I talked about yeah. when we started the show, is I don't think it was a prerequisite, but obviously we had a very strong preference for people physically being here. And when you, if you recall, when we did it with Chris Khalifa, Amina, and we did it with Deborah, we did it but somewhat reluctantly. Now, post-COVID and post-Zoom, God bless them, it feels very natural. Yeah. So in, in, from that perspective, I think it enables us to, able to talk to many more people in different places, which hopefully will also enrich uh, our perspectives and the audience's perspective.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, I think to wrap up, thanks Hashim for joining us today. And um, yeah, we, I think this was in, I think we should kind of make this an annual exercise because I think it's really interesting in terms of just, you know, it's always good to sort of step back and kind of look at what we've been doing and kind of where we want to go.
1: I also want to say that I'm now fully committed because I now have my own microphone. If anyone is wondering, I mean, I used to borrow your microphone, we can just say that. And now I have my own, and your birthday gift to me was part of the package that made that happen, right? I'm gonna say this on air, it might embarrass you, but now I'm fully committed because once you buy something, we all know, that means there's no going back.
0: Yeah, just in case anybody's wondering, Hashem's <laughs> birthday was last week. Uh, in fact, exactly a week ago, if you're listening to this, on well, its did, air it days. You didn't
1: have to say that, but now that you did, that's fine. Yeah, it's
0: fine. Uh, also, I am questioning why it took a microphone to get you committed and what will we be doing I'm until just this time, but but say, we're going to move on. You know, as long <laughs> when you
1: borrow something, there always feels like you're not fully committed. The moment you have your own microphone and stand, let me say... That means you're it. You're done. You're gonna be here for a very long time. So whether people like it or not, this show will be on for, you know, many more years.
0: Uh, so yeah, in case any of you want to reach out to us, you can do that by uh, on Instagram at the Lighthouse underscore AE. You can find all of the episodes in your favorite podcast player and also on the on the Lighthouse website, that's lighthouse.ae slash podcast. And we'll be back in two weeks. Thanks, Chirac. I was wondering, like, don't you want to end this? Don't you want to be the last person on this thing? That would be crazy (laughs) if not. (laughs)